You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to the Mission Field USA podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm Reverend Dr. Mark Larson, Manager of Church Planting, and today we are very glad to welcome the Reverend Dr., the newly minted Dr. Gavin Mize. He serves as the pastor of Augustana Evangelical Lutheran Church in Hickory, North Carolina, and he got a bachelor's from Concordia University, Wisconsin, the same university as my daughter who just graduated graduated and has a master's from the Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. So for Reverend Mises' recently approved doctoral dissertation, it was entitled Beauty Appreciation, Sensory Perception as Catechal Aesthetics. So we welcome uh, Reverend Dr. Mize in our midst today, and we look forward to his presentation on this topic of the role of aesthetics in church planting. So welcome, sir. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing doing very well. Looking forward to to speaking on the topic of beauty and in the mission field. Yeah, absolutely. And One of the strengths of our faith, the Lutheran faith, I believe, is that we're not afraid of art. We're not afraid of science. All those useful things can be a servant to the gospel. And I certainly think that would have been one of the uh, trademarks and ideas that Martin Luther brought forward during the Reformation, that these are all useful things. He certainly mentioned music, but you'll probably share with us uh, whether or not Luther also talked the same in the same fashion uh, as art. But it, this whole topic does kind of remind me of a, a story that I heard, but I think it was still at seminary. You know, and that is that art and beauty, the beauty of it, had a great role in the conversion of uh, Russia to Christianity. That the emperor, the Tsar at that time, Vladimir I, visited the Byzantine emperor Basil II. He went into oh, what no doubt would have been the stunningly beautiful Hagia Sophia in those days in the 10th century and supposedly said that as they went through the liturgy of of what would be the Orthodox Church at the time, that he didn't know whether he was in heaven or on earth. And then afterwards, he became baptized and then all of Russia was baptized according to what we know from history. And so that was kind of a, a stunning story and a sort of an affirmation of the significance that art and its beauty can have in mission work. Now, of course, I might be remiss to say that the marriage of Vladimir to the sister of the emperor of uh, Byzantine may have something to do with that, but it's always a complicated story. So, so Pastor Mize, as we begin this, just can you kind of tell me what's the importance of aesthetics around us as it informs us about our surroundings? Well, one of the things that I've done in the past is kind of help help people teach their sanctuary to their people. Maybe they don't have quite quite the grasp or the vocabulary to be able to teach their sanctuary to their people. But the way that I teach them to teach their people is by using their senses and in the divine service, in our worship, every sense should be stimulated in one way or another. You alluded to hearing just quite naturally and sight also quite naturally. 
the Lutheran church being the great singing church, definitely have no problem with, with hymnody, with making beautiful sounds to our Lord. We have no problem with that whatsoever. Our visual art can be somewhat lacking in, in many ways, but that's mainly compounded on so many years of focusing on, on hymnody and things like that. However, we're starting to see today kind of a resur- resurgence of artists and churches actually willing to be to commission artists to to paint in their sanctuaries and things like that. Now, of course, there are other church bodies that let, let's use Russia as an example. The Russian Orthodox Church. If you walk into the sanctuary of a Russian Orthodox Church, there's going to be so much a sensory perception stimulation that you're not even going to be able to know where to focus. There's going to be so so many mm. icons and all of that, that you're not even going to be able to, hope, hopefully you'll be able to, but it's going to be more difficult to find the font and you're definitely not going to find the altar because it's behind, behind the rare dose. So, so I think that Lutherans in particular need to find some sort of a middle ground there that our sight can be stimulated just as much as our hearing and then also our taste and smell which are olfactory so we need to work both of those together and of course the more difficult uh, our touch and we'll, we'll go through all of that as we look at what it means to beautify a mission church for the edification of the people in wherever the mission field may be. Very good. So do you think the, like our church in America has been influenced by other denominations that, you know, might even have theological objection to the use of art in, in their sanctuaries? I do. I use the example of having a baptismal font on wheels so that you can move it in and out out of the way, so to speak. That is a, a very e- evangelical Protestant type of understanding that you can move that for, in their case, you would move the altar or you could move the pulpit or you could move, uh, well, you, for let's say the Southern Baptists, for example, there are a bit iconoclastic, which means they're against images that, that depict any kind of a divine being, be it Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. And I think that we are very much influenced by that in particular. White mm-hmm. walls, light, if any, iconography. If you're going to have a cross, it better not have Jesus on it. That that kind of, of mentality and uh, adoption. And, and to be fair, influence. I think influence is probably the, the, the best to look at that. And because we're going to look as well at, I'm not saying that if a church doesn't have the shiniest, sparkliest crucifix, then they're somehow doing uh, sensory perception and catechetical aesthetics incorrectly. What I am saying is that what we do needs to be intentional on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and that way we can teach it in a clear way to our people. Right. I was uh, speaking with a, a friend who was Lutheran, I, and I think even grew up Lutheran here in, in the city of St. Louis. She went on some trips out into the country and was 
genuinely surprised that, you know, in the center of the altar was a statue of Jesus. As you know, how they do in all the country churches, you know, that were built in the 19th, probably early 20th century. It was like standard that you would have a statue of Jesus, you know, in an ornate altar uh, piece around him. So it's, it's kind of interesting how the, the things flow back and forth. So, so that's, you know, hearing we do in spades, I guess, and to some degree, also art would say for the most part, not absent in our churches, but do you care to comment any more about a smell and taste? Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you an example. And I, I, I typically get in trouble with taste mainly because uh, uh, the use of sacramental wine, I think that there's a, a you, you really have to find the palate or the base understanding of the, the people. And when you do that, you don't lean towards the lowest denominator. So Mogan David and Manshevitz in particular are like kind of Lutheran, American Lutheran standards or staples. But I think that just in the same way that we beautify things for our ears and our sight, we should do also for sacramental elements. I don't say that just only for sacramental wine, also for the host, the the bread, we should be buying the the best that we absolutely can according within our means. And by doing that, we're making a statement about who Jesus is and that Jesus is present. And also that, and then also that, that we're willing to taste and see that that he is good in a way that's very real and very personal. Very good. Now there you're challenging me a bit. What is the difference between a host that is not so good and a good one? Well, one thing in particular, there's some that, that they just make in simple, you know, the small ones that, that people colloquially call cardboard. And then mm. there are those that's more substantial of a host. It's th- thicker. It's it's more, I guess, kind of robust in your mouth, and it's not. It won't melt on your tongue, kind of a host. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So when we think about the arrangement of a uh, worship space in a mission setting, do you have any suggestions of, uh, for the altar and font? I do. Before we get into that. I want to kind of tell a little story and the story is based all around use what the very best that we can for the church and so so that Jesus is confessed in the presence of the people. So, and because what we do in the divine service is what is done in heaven, like Dr. Jess' book, Heaven on Earth. I mean, just absolutely beautiful outstanding book, but that's the idea is that is there's an eschatological or bodily presence when we have the divine service. And in that eschatological bodily presence, we have, we understand that in heaven, the feast to come has come for them. Mm-hmm. So just to back up a little bit, I was in Africa and I was able to see a baptism and that baptism was out of a cool whip container. 
and the way that that the people reverenced that cool whip container you would not have thought that it was a cool whip container at all it yeah. was the you know it, it was the diamond in the setting you know it was the most the utmost beautiful thing in the sight of the people because that's what they had and that's what they could use and there wasn't anything else but to them that very thing held the water that is with the word that is baptism so years go by and i hear that they have received a baptismal font and they turn their focus to this new baptismal font with the same reverence and, and appreciation that they had for this Cool Whip container. And that Cool Whip container stood er, right behind the pastor's, I guess, office, sort of a makeshift office. And they still just thought a, a lot of it. Now, Interesting, yeah. Yes. So like in a mission church, there's not a whole lot of money sometimes. So... We need to be intentional about the things that we're going to use and, you know, kind of put our resources into these things that, that, that beautify our space. But then we kind of have to become a little more creative and more inventive when we do, when we start talking about shared space, which, you know, we're, we're going to get into Mm -hmm. Uh, with shared space. You do have to be a little more, well, like I said, in, inventive and yeah, I don't know if you want to get into that now, or if you want to get into that wrong or what. But but sure, sure. Yeah. Well, let's, maybe let's kind of think, think of, of the, you know, the placement of some furniture, the setup of the space, like, you know, uh, like such as the altar and the font. Oh, right. So uh, the placement of the altar and the font. First of all, the altar and the font need probably need to be uh, as light as possible if you're talking about shared space. Mm-hmm. And I would offer the the suggestion of a company by the name of Autumn, A U T O M, that it is a very affordable. It's a Roman Catholic magazine or not magazine catalog, but mm-hmm. everything's very affordable in there. And they they have baptismal fonts and altars that are lightweight and can be moved if you're sharing a, a sacred space or excuse me, a shared space, like at a school or I've heard of them being in movie theaters on Sundays, something like that. Then, you know, you, where, where you're kind of forced to move the altar and the, and the font and things like that in order for another use you know, wherever it may be in the school for school in the movie theater for movie goers, et cetera. That's just what we have to do. The people who should see that those things move should only be the ones who are moving them before the people come in. And in particular, the baptismal font needs to be placed in a very intentional placement. And I think that's where we're going there's two ways in particular that, that I like to see baptismal font either in the 
back of the, of what would be the nave where you walk in, you walk around the baptismal font and you're making this baptismal journey from the font to the altar. And then you're sitting down and you're being preached the word of God from the pulpit, from that appointment. And if you have a lectern, then you're hearing the le- the lections, the the readings and all of that. And in that you're hearing the word of God and your faith is growing. And then you continue with that baptismal journey to the altar where you receive Christ in body and blood. And in that your faith continues to grow. Now there's the, there's another way of doing it where the baptismal font is closer to the altar. And that's the way that it is here at Augustana Lutheran Mm -hmm. and here in Hickory is you have to walk around, excuse me, you get to walk around the baptismal font in order to get to the communion rails. And in that way, you're reminded of your baptism because it's front and center and you have, and you get to walk around it to the rails. Well, then what do we say then about that journey that I explained about the baptismal journey from the font to the altar? Well, it becomes a reminder of the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows that Christ walked when he was coming into Jerusalem. And we kind of walk that same walk into Jerusalem and then to Golgotha, the place of the skull. We walk that walk and we carry our cross and we follow Jesus in that same path. And when we follow Jesus in that same path, the Via Dolorosa, we end up right there at the font where we're baptized into Christ's death. If we're baptized into Christ's death, then we're raised, raised into his resurrection. And one of my members put it, and I'll never forget it, our sins are left in the bottom of that font. And the way that he put that was just so beautiful and quite literal. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, wow, if we truly believe that baptiz- baptism is what it is, if we believe that baptism does what we say that it does, and if those sins are at the bottom of the font, then you know we want to beautify that as much as possible. And where we place it is also important for each and every Sunday. So kind of what I hear you saying is that in the same way that the church year leads us through the life of Christ and we follow Christ through that, that the worship space can be set up in that same sort of way to reinforce again that that same journey that we're going on with Jesus. Absolutely. Whether it be the remembrance of Christ's face turning towards Jerusalem and him head, heading to die and to rise again, or we're making that baptismal journey from the font to the altar and the font being at the back. Mm-hmm. Either way, we need to teach our people things like that and catechize them with things like that. Because if, if it's not important to us, the pastors, then the pe- it's not going to be interesting to the people to our people. But what mm-hmm. we're interested in, they're going to be interested in and vice versa. What they're interested in, we're going to be interested in. It's just it's just how we are as humans. And so if we're able to teach using this simple simple walking into the church, 
but we just discussed two very theologically rich ways to teach the people. And all that they've done is they've walked into church. That's it. We haven't even begun teaching the altar, what, can, what we can put around the altar. We haven't even t- discussed singing and w- what kind of hymns and all of that. All that we've discussed is just walking into church. And you've already got two rich, theologically beautiful and and wonderful visions that they can see and go, wow, I, I never thought of that. And now that I have, I can't unsee it. Right. And so the architecture, so to speak, even though in a mission setting, it's temporary, also communicates. I'm reminded of uh, there was a nearby church, the first parish I served, where the pulpit was above the altar. And, uh, you know, one of the pastors said, and he, he disagreed with this. Well, that was, you know, elevating the word above the sacrament. And that was the purpose of that. Now, I don't know if that was the case or not, but that would be an example of architecture teaching something intended or not, you know, you know, about how we see things, even though nothing was ever said. Yeah, I've heard either. I, there's a church here in Hickory that has that, that very same design. And I don't know that. I, I, th- I think that it would be incorrect to say that it's wrong, but it depends on how you teach it. I don't, I, right. I don't, if you look at it and the first thing that you think of is that's elevating the word above the sacrament. Oftentimes it was done so that people could hear, uh, yeah. but putting it di- you know, directly behind the, the font or excuse me, the altar, you could also just as easily say, oh, it's that same word with the element that brings us the Lord's Supper. The same mm-hmm. preached word is the same word that's in the words of institution that's in the uh baptismal formula and I baptize your name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. You can make that, you can make that argument over elevation because is, was it not the same word? It's the same Christ that we learn about in John one. So I think saying that, that it, it's incorrect or it might, you know, I might be teaching something that's bad. I think that we need to stop, take a step back and look at how we can teach things before we start labeling things good or bad or otherwise we need to and i've done this for churches and and i offered to come do it for other for me churches any church that wants me to come do it for free show them how to teach this the sanctuary take a step back look at it and then learn to communicate the architecture the smells I know I've got a few tricks for smells that, that aren't incense because typically people are kind of affronted w- with inf- incense in our, in our church body, but. Yeah. We'll talk about that for the, 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 the smells part. We haven't covered that sense yet. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll just kind of wrap up what I was saying there that uh, again, just take a step back and say, okay, this is how we can teach this and that at Augustana, I walked into the sanctuary and I, I was able to teach what every, with every part that, of that, that was in the sanctuary, I taught the Augsburg confession and the articles in, in the Augsburg confession. And by doing that, they learned the Augsburg confession right there in their site. And like I said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But I, we can go back to senses, our senses being stimulated if, if you would like to. 
Sure. Well, yeah. Did you, do you want to unpack smell anymore? Oh, sure. One of the things, two of the things that you can do with incense in particular with the sense of smell, there's the smell itself. And then there's the, the liturgical movement of incense. So <laughs> if you take a little bit of charcoal and you put it in the sensor and you put one piece of incense on there and you put it where it's not seen, you know, typically people can smell that and it's, they're not so much affronted with it. But then there's the, the liturgical movement where you put it in the sensor and you're moving it throughout the, the divine service. That one, folks will sometimes be affronted with it, but also, to be fair, a lot of people will say that they have, that, that they're sensitive to it or mm-hmm. that they have allergies, even though it's, it's, most of it's hypoallergenic, but that it's, that it causes some concerns with them. I think that's probably the best way. Well, when I was going through my data for my dissertation, I tried multiple things for hearing, sight, taste, taste, smell, touch, just many different things. One of the things that I did was the incense and, you know, I, I got kind of a negative reaction. The next thing that I did was I took frankincense and myrrh oil mm-hmm. and I just oiled all the pews with frankincense and myrrh. And when I did that, they smelled it and they liked it, but they didn't know where it was coming. And so not, you know, not knowing where it's coming from, but enjoying the smell, then you're, you're getting kind of getting to the point, right? You're Mm. all, like I said, from the very beginning, all of your senses need to be stimulated in the divine service. That's a great way to do it. It's it's to act because they, you know, they need to be, they need to be cleaned anyway so you might as well use frankincense yeah. they need to be oiled if if they're wooden so you might as well use frankincense and myrrh and they enjoyed it so being creative like that is very helpful in the church you know and i don't know if you ever covered this but this is maybe a personal experience of mine i remember walking into a church many years ago and there was an unpleasant smell i mean it wasn't an intentional smell it was musty and it was mustier for something didn't smell clean. And I just remember being very put off by it, you know, and, and I'm not, my family can tell you, I don't have a particularly strong sense of smell. And I don't know, it just, it told me that there's something important about the sense of smell. And, and in this case, it was sort of a negative one that that's what I remembered about uh, that church was I walked into the, the entryway and there was just, something was off, you know, <laughs> something Absolutely. was off. Our, yeah. our, our sense of smell and taste are our olfactory senses are most closely tied to our memory. So mm-hmm. if, if you walk into a church and there's an unpleasant smell, obviously it, it, it stuck with you. There was mm-hmm. some sort of retention that came from that smell. And then so, so we have to ask ourselves, well, what can we do to not only minimize bad smell right also maximize smells that have been throughout the church for for well the life of the church even the early church their senses were used to teach the faith this is nothing new what i what i do is is nothing new it but it is and and like for example luther and his hymns the sense of hearing is certainly not new 
Uh, even in, th- in our in the New Testament, we hear about singing spiritual songs, and obviously using our feet in teaching in <clears throat> touching. When he says calls our our feet beautiful, who bring the gospel, and we speak the gospel, and they hear the gospel. And so I mean, there's very much a, a historical precedent for what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm kind of reminded of First John chapter one, you know, the things that we have seen and heard, you know, that we proclaim to you now so that your fellowship may be with us, you know, so yeah, very much so. Yeah, very good. So we've talked about a number of things, sights, uh, sounds, smells, uh, where to alter and pulpit and font. In, in, any other artistry that might be, may work well for a mission setting? I think you've mentioned to me banners. Yes, uh, a lot of churches that who are beginning uh, from missions can't really afford, you know, framed stained glass windows. What's that? They can't afford stained glass windows. It, 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 exactly, stained glass <laughs> windows. Uh, they can't afford, you know, art that is, you know, even even the co- copies of great pieces. They can't just spend what what little resources they have on that and that's completely understandable however again if, if you need to get somewhat creative and one of the ways that augustana was able to get, to get creative was to create these banners and the way that you create these banners is you simply found images from google searches and you we took that and we went to vistaprint and on vistaprint you can put the image on a banner and then on the banner they have its own self-standing stands and so you can put them surrounding the altar like we have done on on the chancel and right there you have beautiful pieces of art that are self-standing so you don't have to hang you don't have to hang them so if it's a shared space you know that could be rather cumbersome but you can still put them there and then take them uh away and they fully roll up and are easy to be to be put away we did that for every single liturgical season we have advent we have christmas we have lent of course good friday well monday thursday good friday easter either easter season easter tide and then or the ordinary church year mm-hmm. uh, and to see it change is to kind of see the progression throughout the church year in the sight of the people which again is absolutely imperative that they're able to see because as pastors we oftentimes and probably too much preach on the lections preach on the lessons we, pre- we translate the Old Testament, we translate the epistle, we translate the gospel, we preach on that, but we don't talk about the liturgical church here enough. And I think that, that it's a, we really miss something when we don't do that because we miss walking in the footsteps of Jesus when we don't teach the church here. And yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I would say that's exactly right. It's and that's the purpose of the church here is to yep. you know, teach the life of Jesus and and follow him. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a year long walking in the footsteps of Jesus, walking in the footsteps of his apostles, walking in the footsteps of his disciples. You know, the the kind kind of a a year long rem- remembrance of Good King Wenceslaus, right? So, so his page yeah. was falling behind him because his footsteps were large and warm. And if we add blood soaked, then we have, you know, Jesus there who takes the elements while we walk behind him, delivering the good news. I think the church here is very much that way. Absolutely. So, yeah. And in the end, it all comes down to proclaiming the gospel. And no matter how we do that, it can be by sight, sound, smell, uh, that people can see Jesus and and through the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in the gospel may have saving faith in, in Jesus. So, uh, Gavin, I thank you very much for um, joining us today. And I don't know if you had any more closing thoughts for our listeners. For the folks that are in the mission field, I, I want them to kind of hear what I'm saying, because I, I'm not saying that there aren't other areas that we need to put resources into. There are. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when we get people to come into these worship spaces, what then are we offering them? And if we're able to show them that we appreciate the, bab- the baptismal font, because that's our baptismal font. We're able to right. show the altar because that's the one that we were able to put there. That's Jesus's baptismal font, I should say. That's Jesus's altar. And these are the most beautiful things that we own. The altar, the baptismal font, the pulpit. These are the most beautiful things that we own. Well, then as Lutherans, we make a, we make a confession that that word and sacrament is central to our very beings, our very core doctrine, our, our greatest belief. And that by doing so, the people that we get to come in from missions, from mission walks and things like that, we're able to bring them in, then they see that and they go, I've never heard of such things. Tell me more. And isn't <clears throat> that the purpose of missions? Tell me more about this these things and the Jesus that, that you say are in them and on them. Tell me more about that. That's the very heartbeat of missions. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really uh, appreciate your perspective that you've uh, shared with us today. And, you know, as, as we were kind of intimating it, missions uh, sometimes and church plants feel like they don't have the opportunity to make their spaces beautiful and to have a number of these things. But I like the way that you have presented ways to do that, which are certainly attainable in most situations and keeping that perspective that uh, that this is the worship of our God and he is uh, worthy to receive our best, even as we might be loading it back up onto a trailer, you know, at the end of the worship hour. And so if there are any churches that would like to uh, have me take a look at a picture or something of their sanctuary and offer some suggestions. They're more than welcome to email me at pastormize at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you for to our listeners for joining us today. And thank you, Pastor Mice, for uh, sharing your experiences and this passion of yours with us. And don't miss the next installment of the Mission Field USA podcast. God bless.
Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you.